0: If you don't already have the app on your smartphone or tablet, download it now from vision.org.au slash app. slash Vision. app Vision. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media.
1: Some Christian men are just odd. <laughs> <laughs> Oddness is no respect to a person. It can be in the Christian and the non-Christian. So what parents tend to do is, he's a Christian, that's the one you need. Well, you don't know that. You don't know that.
0: Today, 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 today,
1: with Jeff Vines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher.
0: Hello, my name is Bill and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff finishes a message on the topic of who does God want me to marry? In answering this question, he gives us some great advice about how to approach any big life decision. This is part of the My Friend Has Questions series. If you want, you can check out the whole series on your favourite podcast platform. For now, here's Pastor Jeff to wrap up the message.
1: Walking through Price Hill in Cincinnati, Ohio, when we were on a furlough from New Zealand, and it was late in the summer evening, and we passed by this street where this guy was beating this girl in the middle of the street. He had her up against the truck and just beating her. And my little five foot six father-in-law, 130 pounds, yells down, "Hey!" You big bully, pick on somebody your own size." And he starts walking toward him. And of course, I'm the son-in-law, I have to go with him. And as we get close, I realize there's not many people left on planet Earth that are his size. This is a big dude. Did not deter my father-in-law at all. He kept walking and the more he walked, finally the guy ran away. That taught me something about courage. I would watch my father-in-law preach with conviction and emotion. And as a young man, I would say, man, this guy truly believes what he's preaching. He really believe, he really lives this life. So when you see somebody preach and then you around and you see a family that lives it, it impacts you. But what if the opposite had been true? Then I would have been impacted by that too. You see, the more time you spend with someone, the less you become like yourself and the more you become like them. That's the whole point of devotional and prayer and Bible reading. The more time you spend with God in intimacy, the less you become like yourself. The more time... You spend with God, the less you become like the world. The more you love God, the less you love the things of the world. It's just a natural relational thing. But here's the problem. Most of us don't ask the question about spiritual compatibility because we're overwhelmed with romance. And so that a young girl marries a guy that she knows is not going to lead him spiritually, that is not going to have a passion for spiritual things, that doesn't have the same love for God and for the scripture that she has. But here's what she tells herself. How would I know this? 30 years of ministry. She tells herself, well, what we'll do is get married. And as I get closer to God, I'll pull him up with me. I have not seen that one single time. What instead happens, she fights it and finally comes back to where he is. It's like bungee jumping. If I'm a Christ follower, there are times I want to jump off and leap into the abyss with God. I want to leap off the rope and be with God and away from all these things up here. But when I'm married to someone who doesn't share a spiritual compatibility, there's always this thing in the back of my mind that I've got to go back up to the platform. So I bounce up, then I go down, I bounce up, then I stop bouncing. And everything in me wants to cut the rope, but I know I can't. I got to go back up because of the commitment that I've made. Listen. Young young girls, young guys, do you want a person to look into your heart and see the most important thing to you and not get it? Do you? You think that's not important? Okay, now I want you to listen to me for a second. Not so much as your pastor, but as a man who's been married to the same woman for 31 years. I want you to hear it in that tone. Let me tell you what I've learned. Compatibility impacts intimacy. Intimacy. Why do you think the Bible uses the word no to describe intimacy between a man and a woman? Adam knew his wife Eve. Abraham knew his wife. Why the word no? Because the deeper someone understands and knows you, the greater the quality of intimacy between husband and wife. So that that part of the marriage should get better with age, not worse. Because the more you let each other in and reveal who you truly are, the greater the possibility of intimacy. That's what's wrong with our world. If you want sex, that's a whole different thing. I'm talking about intimacy the way God designed it. And it means that intimacy is intensified by the knowledge of each other. And it stagnates by a lack of knowledge. And complete intimacy corresponds to complete knowledge and understanding of the other person. Some guys don't get this even after they're married, even if they're Christians. Not everybody gets this. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you get it. But the more you allow the other person in, the more they know you, the greater the intensity of the act of marriage. The quality of your intimate experiences corresponds to the depth at which you share your identity and know the identity of your spouse, which is why the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. Not to to be the big bad cosmic boss, but to tell you, if you do this, it's going to be a lifetime of frustration. Ask any young man or older, middle-aged man or woman in the room that's married to an unbeliever, and they will tell you this is exactly the way it ends up. The message translation of Second Corinthians 6, don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right or wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? The point is, the point of the passage is not to call your husband a devil. The point of the passage is light and darkness don't have a lot in common. So it's one thing to be around and to love people in light and darkness. It's another thing to join into a union that is so intimate and intense, it will never work. Same thing is true of the college you choose to go to. Is this a college that's going to enhance my relationship with God? Or is it going to spend four years trying to detract from it? Is this a career that if I go into it, yes, I'm going to make a lot of money, but it's going to violate my ethics from day one. It is better to take a career and make lesser money and keep your faith than it is to make a lot of money and lose it. The decisions you make in your life, where are your accountability partners? And is there a certain sense of spiritual compatibility? There's another thing as well. I had a young lady in New Zealand come to me and say, look, I want you to perform our wedding. I said, sure, I'd love to. And I've never met your uh, fiance though. Can I meet him? She she said, yeah. I said, can I ask you a question? Of course, is he a believer? Oh yeah, he's a a Christian. So I talked to him. I find out that he's not only is he not a Christian, he's an atheist. So I'm trying to wonder why she lied to me or maybe she just doesn't know because she never asked. So we have this conversation. So I go back to her and I say, look, you know that I'm for you no matter what you decide and I will love you no matter which way you go. But I need to ask you something. Is this man the man that you want to raise your children? Because the verdict is out. Social studies tells us very, very clearly. It's undeniable evidence. It's not just ease. The most formative years of the life of the child are the first ones. And in those years, what he learns from his mom and dad will form a foundation upon which he or she will interpret everything to hear the rest of their lives. So if they're taught to seek and to pursue and experience God when they're young, they'll do it the rest of their lives. Or at least the chances are high. It's not an automatic guarantee, but the chances are high. That's the meaning of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now you think about, look at that verse in relation to your father or mother. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its seasons, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Is your father or your mother, the man you're marrying, the woman you're marrying, are they going to lead your children in the paths of righteousness? And if not, that means you're putting a foundation in the life of your child that is shakable and destroyable. I'm just asking you to wake up. The lady that you're about to marry, guys, is going to be the mother of your children. The man that you're going to marry, young ladies, is going to be the father of your family. So is he praying with you now? Does he have a passion for the word now? Is his primary passion and heart for God? Does he live his life for a purpose bigger than himself now? Or is he all about himself or herself? It doesn't get better after the wedding. That's what I've been trying to say for nine years now. When I was dating Robin, man, we could go on a mission trip together and I would carry my luggage and her luggage and everything she brought. And then only one year after the marriage, we're returning to Zimbabwe. Well, let's say five years after the marriage, we got a couple of kids. I got one briefcase. She's got all the suitcases and both the kids. And I turn around and say, you coming or not? (laughs) You don't improve in some areas. I remember Robin and I would go out for a date and we'd have these Tennessee torrential rainstorms. And I remember this, in, this uncanny ability I had that when it's pouring rain, I mean, Tennessee type rain coming down and just like a flood, I could get out of the car after a date with Robin, dinner and a movie. I could run over to her side, take the umbrella so that I could walk her in step by step to the front door and not get one drop of water on that beautiful body of hers. <laughs> and then we're married a few years into it. And there's a torrential rainstorm. And what do I do? Pull into the driveway. I dart out of the car, into the house, look out the window. I wonder if she'll make it. (laughs) I just want you to know that he's on his best behavior now. If he's not doing these things now, what makes you think he's going to start? Do your parents approve or accountability group approve of whatever decision you're making? Is there spiritual compatibility? Is this going to enhance your relationship or detract? And third, am I really ready to get married? The thing I like most about the story is that Eleazar represents Abraham, the father of the nation. He meets Bethuel, who is uh, Rebekah's father. Bethuel invites them into the house with Laban, her brother. And then Eleazar tells the whole story. In fact, in verse 40, But he said to me, The Lord, this is Abraham to Eleazar, before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way, and you shall take a wife from my son, from my family, and from my father's house. You will be clear. A good word there is Free. You will be free from this oath when you arrive among my family, for if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. This is beautiful. Because basically what it tells me, these guys aren't dictating to Rebecca anything. She still gets to make the choice. Verse 57, then they said, let's call the young woman. Let's ask her about it. So they call Rebecca and ask her, will you go with this man? And she said, yes, I'm ready. So we don't know what God had been doing on the other side of the camp to prepare this match. But the point is, just as it is unwise for the son and daughter to completely disregard the advice of the parent, it is equally unwise for the parent to force his or her will on the son or daughter. They gotta be ready, there's gotta be a willingness. The problem we have is just because a guy's a Christian doesn't mean he's the one for your daughter. You know, some Christian men are just odd. <laughs> <laughs> Oddness is no respect to a person, it can be in the Christian and the non Christian. So what parents tend to do is, he's a Christian, that's the one you need. Well, you don't know that. You don't know that. But even if all these things line up, if you want to know if you're ready, there are four quick questions and then I'll finish. Number one, how old am I? The divorce rate, you can't argue with this. The divorce rate for those who get married at or below the age of 22 is twice as high as the divorce rate of those who wait till 24. Two years makes a 50% difference. That's got to be considered. Number two, Am I running from something? Sometimes people get married because they don't want to be under their parents' authority. There's an unhealthy home where there's abuse. There's loneliness and they think marriage will cure it all. They want their own room. They're tired of sharing it with their siblings. And they don't want a curfew, but if they get married, they don't have to have one. I'll get there. Number three, am I looking for a savior? Because we say, if I could only get married, then all my problems would be solved. (sighs) You've obviously never been married. (laughs) Let me, on behalf of every married person in the room, let me go into this little dialogue just for a second. Marriage is fantastic, but it also includes the following. Dirty dishes, bounce checks, financial crises, communication glitches, career struggles, time pressures, mortgage payments, and that's all BC before children. <laughs> And then it's poopy diapers and waking babies and little to no sleep and fighting over whether to play computer games or go out with your friends. It means an advance in his waistline, a retreat in his hairline, and she introduces the mother-in-law and the skin under her arm starts to get all loose and flabby. <laughs> Nobody can save you from that. For every problem solved by marriage, another one is created by marriage. But it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> but you better go into it with eyes wide open and for how long have I been dating this person let's say you're going to buy an airplane what do you want to what do you want to look at if you're going to buy the airplane you want to look at the log books the flight history the engine inspection records where's it been how did it respond to difficult weather how did it hold together when it got struck by lightning these are the aesthetics And they are important, but it's important that the plane can get the job done. Does it take off and land safely? How does it navigate storms? Can it take a hit and keep on ticking? Where people are concerned, you cannot discover this in just two weeks. People come to me and tell me a story about this couple they know of that met on Christian Mingle or somewhere and they only dated two weeks and they're they're now together and it's 50 years later. I know it wouldn't be Christian Mingle. Wherever they met, 50 years later, they're still together. They only dated two weeks. And my response is always the same. It's also true that people go over Niagara Falls in a barrel and sometimes survive. That doesn't mean it's a good choice for a means of transportation. Kansas State University did extensive research on this and they found there's a direct correlation between the length of time a couple spends dating and the level of marital duration and satisfaction. Shorter term courtships are correlated directly to a higher level of marital breakup. The reason that you increase the odds the longer you wait is because by that time the plane has a few miles on it. It's learned to deal with conflict Or you've learned that it can't deal with conflict, that it crashes and burns every time there's conflict. Now, let me give you a couple of automatic rejection points, and I promise I'll move on to the final thing. (laughs) If his way or her way of conflict resolution is anger and yelling, run as fast as you can. Because yelling and anger translates into abuse, either verbal or physical. When tension comes, if he, or her, if he or she handles it by threatening you or pouting, that's manipulating you to try to get their way, run as fast as you can. Now, surely I don't need to say this. If he's hitting you now, imagine what he's going to do after the marriage. It does not get better. And if you think you're the one exception to this, 10 years from now, your life is going to be a living hell. If he calls you all hours of the day, but it's not to say I love you, but instead he does this, where are you? When are you coming home? Why do you do this to me? You don't love me. If you love me, you'll sleep with me. If any of those are true, run as fast as you can. This is manipulation and insecurity. You can't save him. You think you can. Have you ever tried to save a drowning person? What happens when a lifeguard goes out to save a drowning person? They wait until the persons come to the end of themselves. Because as long as they're fighting and struggling, the adrenaline is so powerful that it's powerful enough to drown both of you. You have to wait till they give up. Or the lifeguard has to knock them out. You cannot save another person. You can't. It's too much, and they'll end up dragging you down with them. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, can I not marry anybody? Only those who are willing to go to premarital counseling and sort out their issues before you say, I do. Do, you, do your parents approve? Is there spiritual compatibility? Am I ready to get married? There's got to be a readiness. You're mature. You're ready to do this. And then finally, you're going to be surprised that a pastor would say this. Number four, and this only applies to marriage. Okay, I can't apply it across the board. But this one applies to marriage. Am I physically attracted to this person? Looks matter, at least to you. One of my favorite poems that I've read numerous times, and no one ever laughs, and, and, and I, I want laughter today. I want sympathy laughter because <laughs> I think this is hilarious. It's called Jim's Girl. Jim's Girl is rich and haughty. My girl is poor as clay. Jim's Girl is young and pretty. My girl looks like a bell of hay. Jim's girl is smart and clever my girl is dumb but good but would I trade my girl for Jim's you bet your life I would (laughs) now the question in the poem is why are you with a girl that you don't find attractive now here's the problem Christian people make this mistake of assuming that person's a Christian I'm not attracted to them but you know what I think I can make this work Don't don't over-spiritualize this. There needs to be some spark. When I first met Robin, man, I told you, it was like, whoa! This is the most gorgeous woman I have ever seen in my entire life. And since I'm the most handsome man on the planet, this is going to be a good marriage. (laughs) That's how guys think. Come on. Every guy in the room thinks that. (laughs) Don't be an idiot and value looks too highly, but don't be a moron and disregard them completely. It's possible to love someone without being in love with them. And what I'm saying to you, you got to have both. Don't marry a Christian that you're not attracted to and don't marry a non-Christian that you're absolutely infatuated with. They don't end well. So dads, here's where I want to end. Let's make sure we have this. Big decisions of life accountability, mentors, advisors, spiritual compatibility. Is this going to grow or detract my faith? Am I ready for this? And those are questions only the people around you can help you answer because they they see through your blind spots. And when it comes to marriage, are you attracted? One day, dads, and I'm a dad, so I'm approaching this from the perspective of the father. One day, your little girl's going to come to you, and some of it's already happened, and they're going to say, Dad, how do you know when it's the right one? And I want to help you not just say, "Yeah, just no." <laughs> so I wrote something out for my daughter years ago. She was in the first service today, so I got to reread it to her. I even used her name. I'm in such trouble when I get home. <laughs> and any father who wants a copy of this, I'll be glad to send it to you. So if Sion says, dad, how do you know? Here's my answer. You must know your values, dreams, and goals. And you must form a laser-like clarity concerning the type of person that you want to marry who will come alongside you and help you to achieve those values, dreams, and goals. You must know the kind of temperament and personality that will harmonize well with your needs and desires. You must decide long beforehand your list of non-negotiables, And most importantly, you must pray beginning now that God will give you the gift of discernment and will prevent you from falling into the trap of emotional decisions void of logic and reality. Yes, emotion will play an important role, but emotions must be tempered with wisdom from those you trust. How will you know? Sion, this is one of the great challenges that human beings face, so you must start getting ready now. God help us to be the fathers that our daughters need, the mothers that our sons need, the fathers that our sons need to help them navigate through this because it will determine the quality of the rest of their life. Father, thank you for the power of your word for a simple narrative in Genesis 24 where Abraham sends Eleazar to find a wife for Isaac. And even though... There are cultural differences here that we recognize. We also recognize the similarities. I pray that we would surround ourselves with people who will tell us the truth about ourselves. We'll speak words of wisdom from the spirit who lives in each of us. Help us to become more of a family, to love each other, never to judge each other, but to speak words of wisdom, to always ask the questions of, a, of spiritual accountability, to make sure there's a sense of readiness. I pray that we would honour You as we honour each other, that when we fail in these areas, again, that there'd be no judgement, but we would pick each other up when we fall and help us to navigate the future. I pray for our sons and our daughters in Christ's Name, Amen.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing with every single breath I bring. I will bring this up. You are my wonder You win the wonder Today. 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 Today.
1: Today with Jeff Vines.